Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the emergency medicine podcast recorded at Dream Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing paracetamol overdose. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. All guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, welcome back to Take Orally. Uh, Jamie Thomas here, teacher fellow in emergency medicine. Delighted that uh, Dr. Chris Goff, uh, emergency medicine consultant and uh, pre-hospital doctor has joined us. Welcome back again, Chris. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Uh, in this episode, we are going to be discussing uh, paracetamol overdose. There's two very good reasons for that. One is it's incredibly common and important. And the second one is you were recently at the Arkham Scientific Conference where paracetamol overdose was discussed. Yeah, so um, there was a session at the annual scientific conference looking at paracetamol overdose, um, looking at some of the changes that are coming to Toxbase and some of the potential treatment changes that we might have in the future. Uh, really interesting session. Uh, important because it is probably the most common uh, para, most common overdose we see uh, our patients coming in with. Um, it's an easily accessible medication, available over the counter uh, without prescription. Uh, the amount you can buy in one go whilst you think they restrict it so you can't do much harm to yourself, you still can buy a significant amount of paracetamol. So for me, uh, about 120 milligram per kilogram of paracetamol available to me over the counter in one purchase for under 50p is a fairly uh, fairly risky thing. So um, another problem is that it's a overdose where you can be relatively asymptomatic until actually you're quite a way down uh, a path of hepatic damage and realistically it'd be nice to treat you early on. Mm. And it also has its own antidote, which is uh, an uncommon thing to see in lots of toxicology. A lot of toxicology is about symptomatic support and getting people through uh, the time of them excreting the drug that actually paracetamol has its own antidote. Okay. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So um, it is the most common agent of uh, intentional self-harm. Just a bit of quick Googling showed that uh, in the UK between 2000 and 2008, there were between 90 and 155 deaths um, each year from paracetamol poisoning. Um, quick bit of revision. It's not actually the paracetamol that, that kills you, is it? No. So paracetamol itself um, isn't toxic to your liver, but um, your liver starts to break down the paracetamol and creates a metabolite called NAPQI, N-A-P-Q-I, and no, I can't pronounce the very multisyllable name of what it is. No, how can I? <laughs> Your liver then uh, mops up the NAPQI uh, using glutathione and creates a second metabolite. And normally, with normal amounts of paracetamol, that's fine. But in overdose, um, you rapidly use up all the glutathione available to mop up the uh, NAPQI. So the NAPQI sits there and then starts damaging the hepatocytes, causing the liver damage. Excellent. And that is as much as we're going to go through. For more information, please Google. Yeah. Um, so we're, um, we're going to follow really the, the tox base um, setup um, on, on covering paracetamol overdose, the format that they use on their paracetamol page. And I regularly still use Toxbase, and I, th I think it's a fantastic resource, isn't it, in the emergency department? Toxbase is a, is a wonderful resource to all of us. Um, you can get it. Know, online you can get the app on your phone um, it's free just have to register a email address with them and then it's on your phone with no need for the internet connection so that's really useful um, and it's good to go and look because you, you see these things all the time but actually some of the nuances uh, get difficult in some cases and, and things change as well so just because you think you know what it was two years ago doesn't mean you always know what it is now so it's a great resource and not just that is the poisons guys at the end of the phone Mm. You can find their contact details via Talkspace. Are also really useful, so great resource and always worth going to if in doubt. 
very approachable 24-7 I've found when I've uh, spoken to them. So um, their, uh, their page format is they look at the, the single overdose um, over an hour or less, a staggered overdose over a period of more than one hour, and then the therapeutic overdose, the unintentional paracetamol overdose. So we're first going to have a look at that paracetamol overdose, um, an intentional one over a period of an hour or less. So the patient has come in, I've taken these pills, they were over an hour, uh, less than an hour. Um, what's our approach going to be? Um, so the important thing is that it takes it's less than an hour is what counts in acute uh, single overdose. You know, people don't tend to be able to swallow lots of tablets simultaneously, it does take them a little bit of time. Um, the key thing you want to know is going to be how much you took and when you took them. Um, if it's within an hour, and we do still occasionally see people who manage to take their tablets and come straight to ED, mm. um, then you should be considering giving them activated charcoal, see if you can reduce some of the uh, absorption uh, of the drug. Uh, generally, you don't tend to see that many people now coming in that time frame. So once you've got the time of ingestion and the amount, and ideally the weight of the patient as well, because it's not the amount you took, but it's the amount you took for your body weight, um, you can then start doing some thinking. The most common thing we see is people who present to us um, less than four hours after taking the drug. And those patients have got a really simple approach. It is do their bloods at four hours, mm -hmm. no matter how much they say they've taken. And this feels really uncomfortable for some people when they say a patient says, I've taken the X amount. Um, but actually, patient histories aren't always consistent. There's lots of different things that interplay about how much drug you absorb. So actually, waiting to four hours, to the point at which you should get peak plasma concentration um, and getting a level then, that's what's gonna guide you onwards. Um, and there's a nice nomogram chart with a treatment line um, on for you to match about um, whether the patient needs treatment or not. So there's a risk of liver damage and therefore should have treatment. So that's the guys who turn up within four hours of a single overdose, and that's kind of something we see quite regularly. Um, the next uh, group of people are the people who present between uh, four and eight hours. Um, and actually, realistically, Toxbase will tell you that it doesn't have between four and eight hours, which says under eight hours of ingestion. And that's because as long as you can get a level back within eight hours of ingesting the paracetamol, actually, you could wait up to that eight hour mark to start treatment and have no obvious deleterious effects. So, realistically, if they're under four hours, wait. If they're between four and seven hours presenting, you need to level back within eight, then you can just get to do the level and wait. Uh, and again, that's probably the majority of people we see. Okay. Um, and um, I suppose there's lots of things within that time, you know, is the patient a reliable historian? Are they intoxicated? Are there other things in their history going on that may affect how they uh, metabolize uh, paracetamol? There's that, and also, did they just take paracetamol? It's yeah. So, you know, just because they've taken one thing, have they taken another? Um, so, it's important if they're taking lots of drugs to always check tox space for each one. Some things need cardiac monitoring, some things need different monitoring periods. It's always worth making sure you know what the longest monitoring period is for any of the drugs that someone's ingested, especially if they're taking modified release medications, and also what's the highest level of monitoring they need for any of the drugs, and work to the highest level of monitoring <coughs> and the longest duration of observation for everybody. So within that eight hours, we know you're either above the nomogram yep. um, for treatment, so therefore you need a NAC for treatment. If you're below it, you're medically fit and you can engage psychiatric support for the patient. Yeah, and you can do that at whatever your local trust policy is for engaging with your laser psychiatry service. Okay. So what if the patient took the overdose last night? It's over eight hours, they've woken up this morning, they've, they're worried, and now they're coming into the emergency department. 
and that's not an uncommon situation. Um, less common than people who pitch up how to take it within time frame. Um, if they give you again a good time course when I took it, you're beyond that just waiting for a level thing. You need to work out do they need to treat now? So the first question is do they have symptoms? So it's unlikely they're going to be jaundiced at eight hours, but you know, if they start to go yellow, definitely. Um, have they got hepatic tenderness? Nausea vomiting is difficult because there's lots of things that can affect whether they're feeling sick or not, but if you're uncertain, that's always worth thinking about. So symptomatic people waiting for a level, just stick them on the neck. Dr. Bates then says, work out how much they've ingested in terms of milligrams per kilogram. And they use a cutoff of 150, 150. And if you've taken more than 150 milligrams per kilogram and you're between 18 and 24 hours after a single overdose, you go on that to be stopped if you then turn out that your bloods are okay and you can stop it. Sure. Um, if you've taken 100, 150 you can, and you have no symptoms, you can wait for bloods to see whether or not you need treatment. Okay. And um, so you start, so the key point there is if it's a substantial overdose over 150, start yeah. the treatment, wait for the bloods, and if the bloods are okay, then stop. Yeah. Otherwise, wait for the bloods. Okay, fantastic. Um, what if they've come in over 24 hours after they've taken their overdose, 24 hours or more? And at this point, it's um, there's two things. Number one is symptoms. So it's, have they got symptoms? So jaundice or hepatic tenderness that make you worry that they've got hepatitis and hepatitis meaning inflammation in the liver and, you know getting a toxic hepatitis um, so if they've got those symptoms they go on back that's a that's a given mm. but if they're asymptomatic what you then do is you can do their bloods and what you're looking for is to see that there's no paracetamol residing in their system so they've got over their toxic insult and therefore would like to come to more uh, metabolic harm that they have got a normal transaminase uh, so there's no sign of cellular breakdown in the liver. And importantly, that their INR is, well, not normal, because it's, it's going to be under 1.3, and that's actually normal INR, but uh, their INR is under 1.3, and that says that their synthetic function of their liver is, is fine, because actually the best synthetic function test of liver is actually what your clotting is doing. So if you are asymptomatic, and you meet all of those criteria, and that you have no paracetamol, a normal transaminase, and normal clotting, as evidenced by your INR, then actually, Again, you're medically fit and you don't need to um, have treatment with NAC. Fantastic. Um, and I suppose those are all the tests that you would, if you've started your patient on NAC at any point, those are the tests that we would check at the end to make sure that our NAC treatment has, has worked, basically. Yeah, so um, use knees is the other one to look at. Creatinine rise is a marker of needing continued treatment uh, for people who've been on NAC therapy. But use knees, LFT of transaminases, INR is a marker of uh, coagulopathy. Um, and then people do talk about the paracetamol level at the end of treatment, but actually it's not necessarily indicated on the current 21-hour uh, regime. Okay. And I suppose it's worth at this point just talking a little bit about the NAC regime, um, that it's, a, it's quite a lengthy regime involving three bags, involving admission. Yeah, so um, na so NAC or N-acetylcysteine, um, or Parvalex uh, is its trade name, uh, is a is an IV therapy. The goal is to give the patient 300 milligrams per kilogram of, of NAC, um, and that's divided into three bags of different concentrations. Um, the first bag is given over an hour, and that's actually half the drug, that's 150 milligrams per kilogram. And that's the time that people are not gonna tolerate the infusion, because it's the most concentrated, the biggest load. And they may get um, a, a urticaria rash, and some itching, uh, they can get nausea and vomiting, 
tend not to necessarily get a true anaphylactic reaction, but do get these quite grotty side effects. And there's guidance on Toxbase about what to do if people are getting anaphylactoid um, side effects uh, from the bag. They then have another bag over four hours and a final bag over 16 hours of a tapering dose. So it's 21 hours, assuming that you've got all the bags ready to go back to back. And we all know that generally a hospital is a busy place and it's very rare that people have got one bag ready mm. to go. So a 21 hour infusion becomes 22, 23, even 24 hours. Mm. You have a set of bloods done an hour before you finish the last bag. They need to be processed and back. So realistically, from starting NAC in ED or on an admissions unit if, you, if you're there, you're looking at 24 hours before you know the patient's medically fit um, or may need another bag of, another 16 hour bag potentially as well. Um, so that confers at least a one night stay and given that anecdotally, telling whether an overdose is a, an evening pastime more than a daytime pastime, invariably this ends up being a two night stay, especially depending on whether your liaison psychiatry service will see patients whilst on an infusion or would like to wait for them to be medically fit for assessment. So it's not a quick win, it's, mm. a, it's a definite admission with the bits come with that. And um, I have read some places about oral parvalex being given for, for some patients, I don't know if you know anything about that. We've had a couple of patients here and it's um, it's obviously not quite as effective, but it is an option. There's guidance on tox space for that, and there's, we can ring uh, the Poisons uh, Centre for advice. And it comes down to um, there are these patients who have recurrent overdoses who then intravenous access becomes an issue because we've had so many lines. Um, they may not want a line, and the question is, do they have capacity um, to refuse the treatment? And that's a whole different uh, podcast in itself. Um, so there's lots of reasons why people might end up needing an alternative to IV therapy. And so um, oral therapy is an option. Um, it is a lot to drink. For memory, it is a significant volume of fluid to get the, get the nap diluted in a drink. And unsurprisingly, it doesn't taste very nice. I was going to say, Parvalex stinks. So if it tastes like it um, smells, it must be, yeah. Given that it tastes mostly smell, I don't want to drink it myself. <laughs> No, absolutely. So that's our single, under an hour, um, single one-off overdose. Um, and we, we've looked at that between, you know, um, under eight, eight to 24 and, and, and 24 hours uh, post um, taking the overdose. So we're now moving on to our patient who's taken a staggered paracetamol overdose. This qualifies as taking it over an hour. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I last night I was drinking I had several packets of paracetamol in front of me and I've taken them over the course of a few hours and now I've had a change of mind and now I've come to the emergency department, I'd like help. What's our approach now? Um, the simplest bit is, you're going to be put on knack. <laughs> um, and when we talk about people having staggered ingestions, the other people who group into this are people who have had an unknown time of ingestion or an unknown... Uh, duration of how long to ingestion for and things like that you assume that they are staggered until so we've talked about acute overdose you've got to know them acute overdose and these patients are very going to start on NAC on arrival in ED um, because you don't know exactly what the risks are so you will empirically start them on NAC because it's better to start it and potentially you know reduce harm than not start it and wish you started it a few hours earlier so they go on NAC when they come in and then you need to make a decision about whether or not you're able to stop the NAC based on some um, some tests. So again, symptoms are important. So symptoms don't beat blood tests. So if a patient is symptomatic, stuff that might make you think they've had a paracetamol overdose, then treat them until their symptoms settle is always a, my tip. 
the next bit there was the change and this was talked about at the conference and it was um, made a big difference to how we approach um, our passive myelodysplastic patients it's now been updated on Talkspace in the past month and that is that if four hours after the last ingestion of paracetamol they have no paracetamol in their system and their ALT is normal and their INR is normal you can stop the NAC this is a game changer you used to have to wait 24 hours um, so you know after the last ingestion, which meant that most people with a staggered overdose were going to be on a course of NAC because you get through a significant portion of the course of NAC before you could turn around and say you were in a position to treat or to test them uh, with the blood tests. Um, the four hour window has absolutely changed that, revolutionised that, and you may actually be able to prevent admissions due to that. There was an interesting question at the conference, which sounds a bit um, somebody that asked, How do you know when the last took the paracetamol during the four hours are? And it's one of those questions that's, you know, that's really simple. What I'm actually realising is a really important question. And the answer is, the la as soon as they contact services and have been seen to be able to take a knack, you can take that time. So if they can't tell you when the last time they took knack was, sorry, knack, last time they took paracetamol was, um, but they've got a time on scene from an ambulance mm. or the time they book into ED, as long as you then don't let them have access to paracetamol, and I warn you, there are patients who will smuggle paracetamol in their bags and they will in, indeed. in ED. Yep. As long as they've not done that, you can take that first point of contact with um, service, be it police, ambulance or hospital, um, as the time to start the four hour clock. So start the NAC. Yep. So you establish a staggered start the NAC, four hours afterwards, whether that's a confirmed time or four hours after uh, accessing services, do those bloods. No paracetamol, ALT is normal, INR is 1.3 or less, and there's no symptoms suggesting liver damage. Stop the NAC. Stop the NAC. You are medically fit. You are medically fit. And, you know, that theoretically can be made medically fit inside the ED uh, against the, uh, the access target, so you may actually be able now to stop people being admitted. That is a game changer. It is a game changer. Fantastic. Um, and so, then moving on to our unintentional... Uh, paracetamol overdoses and uh, um, anecdotally I mean I don't have my own data but I would probably say I see just almost as many of the unintentional as I do intentional yeah. and um, it tends to be patients with dental pain uh, taking Lemsip plus tablets plus another form of tablets and then realising oh no they've all got paracetamol in them ringing 111 and being said you need to come to a &E. And actually, if you're lucky, they realise they've taken too much. Yeah. Actually, and anecdotes are never the best evidence, but I have seen many a patient who you go and see, it's a middle of the night, you're going to go clear out minors, and some dental pain, be a nice quick turnaround, and then you happen, you importantly ask them the question, and you work out they've taken a significant amount of paracetamol in the past um, mm. few hours. Um, important thing, just in terms of words we use and the mindset we have about people, people who've taken therapeutic excess, probably try and avoid the word overdose when we're mm. talking about them because again overdose implies an intent and these guys haven't done any intent to hurt themselves so therapeutic excess get a good history work out what they've taken and think about all the sources and it can be dental pain really common one mm. um, people who've come in with horrible cold and flu symptoms who don't realise mm. that all the sachets of everything they're drinking is full of X, Y and Z because it tastes quite nice you think oh, I'll have another lem sip yeah and, and the other one is for branded mixed painkillers. Mm. So to be really careful when someone says they take an anodine, get the box and work out what's in it. Because anodine can have anything from paracetamol, ibuprofen, aspirin, codeine, um, caffeine. <laughs> so many things in there. Again, get a really good history, nail down what they've taken. 
Yeah. So I think that's always very useful. I think any patient coming in with pain, and you, I think we do in A&E, we say, what have you been taking normally? Yeah. And getting, or how, much, how often have you been taking it? Yeah. And that's it. That's why I've been taking paracetamol until you actually drill them down to, when you say you've been taking paracetamol, how much you've been taking, mm. you might miss something. Mm. Um, when you've got that history, you need to weigh the patient because again, it's really important about, it's milligrams per kilogram per day that toxopates use to stratify people. And then after that, it's complicated and it comes down to how much they've taken, mm. um, both in terms of maximum recommended daily dose, uh, milligrams per kilogram, duration, symptoms and all sorts. And my advice for that point is retox base. Yeah. And every time, because everything is slightly different and there are a few different options in tox base based on how much you've taken and when you're taking things. So uh, my advice is just get a history, it's important, and recognise that it might be a, they didn't come in with paracetamol overdose because they don't know, so just be aware to it. It's probably the most important thing about therapeutic excess. And then just make sure you've got a really good history of what they've taken when, um, how much they weigh, and then go on tox base to get a feel for how you manage that. Yeah. And they again mentioned the 150 milligrams per kilogram um, over a 24 hour period. Of course, bearing in mind that the patient may have been taking it for several days before they come to A&E. So yeah, so it's complicated and it's really one to have a really good think about. Okay. Um, so again, is it a case of, of risk stratifying these patients or do you start the NAC straight away with, these, with the patient? Um, I think it comes down to, again, about what their symptoms. So if they've got symptoms of liver injury, then you're going to treat them. Um, and then otherwise, as I say, I just bug out and read, read tox base just because the, the permutations are there's three or four different permutations. It's worth getting your head around. So if you've got no symptoms of liver injury, mm. go and have a look at tox base. Make a calm, thought-out decision. Um, if they've got symptoms of liver injury, mm. don't think. Just give the knack and then go and read tox base. Absolutely. Toxbase, Toxbase, Toxbase. This episode was sponsored by Toxbase. No, <laughs> if only. Um, okay then. Um, so another thing that you you talked about um, at the beginning was um, a new protocol for paracetamol uh, overdose treatment, the, the the SNAP regime that, that could be coming in uh, to uh, to emergency departments coming soon, maybe. Yeah, so um, one of the things presented in the paracetamol session was a modification of the uh, regime for administering uh, acetyl, uh, for acetylcysteine. Um, so um, they compared what is termed as the current regime for um, acetylcysteine um, prescription, and I'll let you work out that uh, acronym in your head, um, versus the, the SNAP protocol. Um, and the idea behind the SNAP protocol is that it um, modifies both the loading bag of um, acetylcysteine to be a lower concentration and a lower total dose given over a slightly longer period but reduces the total overall duration of infusion to just 12 hours it's, it's a double win really um, the first bit is tolerability so by reducing that first bag to being less concentrated over a bigger time you're not hitting people with this bigger load of knack out front so you hopefully reduce the nausea vomiting symptoms and the skin symptoms and there's evidence to suggest that that's that's true. The question is whether or not the 12 hour protocol is eff as efficacious as the 21. It gives the same 300 milligrams per kilogram um, loading um, total uh, dose, so should give you the same amount. Um, evidence out there for it isn't brill. You might struggle to get an RCT out of it, 
currently they're being used out of the three big poison centres in the UK, so Edinburgh, Newcastle and uh, St Thomas and London are all using the SNAP protocol for managing um, their paracetamol overdoses. Um, and that's a game changer in many things. So one is the duration of infusion. Uh, you're going to need a reduced length of stay. But not only that, if your admission is like to be in an evening, you're medically fit the next morning. Mm. So actually you've then got the whole day in working hours to get engaged with any other service you need to get somebody out. So not only do you reduce their overall length of stay, you really do make things a lot smoother for everybody. Um, and that, if a patient isn't responding on SNAP by their blood, so that their INR and their paracetamol level and their LFTs aren't pristine at the end of the second bag, you can give them a repeat of the second bag and then giving them 500 milligrams per kilogram in 22 hours versus 321. So you can get a lot more in that period. So there's a theory that you might be more efficacious, but there's no evidence to support it desperately yet. And those bloods would be the same ones that we talked about. So yeah. your paracetamol level, your ALT, your INR. Yeah, just those and three. And clinical picture. And yeah. clinical picture, which is always important Excellent. as well. And um, you also, um, you mentioned that there's potentially some biomarkers of, of liver damage, potentially maybe one day so it also presented um, and it was in all over BBC News um, in the past couple of weeks as well uh, they were presenting the idea there are new markers of cellular damage uh, that you can assess on arrival to look for the level of cellular damage um, and they've got some early data looking at how well that correlates with people who go on to, to need NAC and things like that and it looks promising but like anything it's a, it's a early stages of new potential markers being assessed and then going around and getting more data to show that it definitely correlates nicely and then it's how you fit it into the protocol and things. So it's not going to be a, a change overnight, but it's something really exciting to look for about a, a new way that's specific to POFID to paracetamol that gives a better understanding of who is at risk, who is already getting liver damage and needs treatment and who may actually be able to um, leave alone. And quicker get these patients medically fit and engaging with the psychiatric services all the better rather than sitting there dwelling while they're having their 21 hour infusion yeah so I mean there's benefits for getting early decision making and early turnaround that's brill um, and also it's about avoiding unnecessary admission because bringing people into medical wards uh, if you don't have to isn't brill and actually it'd be nice to try and get them sorted in the ED and get them back home or into a support environment or wherever they need to be rather than sat mulling on the medical ward about what's going on fantastic thank you very much Chris no problem. Uh, watch this space, and I think use Talkspace. Yeah, um, if there's a one take home message, uh, Talkspace is, uh, is fab, uh, both on the internet and by phone. Brilliant. Thank you, Chris. No worries. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. That was the Take Orally Paracetamol Overdose podcast. As ever, you can find more information at www.takeorally.com. You can also find Take Orally on both Facebook and Twitter. For more information on research and education opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.